So, all right, so I'll have to wait for Scott's book. Okay. And oh, but but the reason why it caught my attention partly was because uh, one of the things that he said was that he uh, he felt like as he got older, he became more annoyed by bad design than inspired by good design. Okay. I thought it was interesting because I never feel that way. Oh, really? You know, it's like I, 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 people often say, you know, does, does it make you crazy when you go around and you constantly run into bad design problems? And I'm like, no, I know exactly how hard it is to do it right. Oh, wow. Okay. And so I'm very patient with people, you know, it's like, and, and I'm really admiring when people do a really good job. Well, that's one of the things uh, I want to talk to you about was because like one of the first things, um, one of the things I've asked you about before, I just want to, that uh, I still carry to this day was that, uh, uh, because during your speeches, I'm not sure if you still do it or not, but uh, uh, your speeches, you pull people up and you do like a live usability test. Right. Online. And I was just like, wow, you're really like flying without a net because you could yep. just, because you also don't like, you pick out the website at random for, for yep. people to test. Well, the website's not picked out quite at random. They're, they're okay. Well, there you the go. website is always picked out. The website is always picked out with two criteria. One is that it's something that actually people will be able to follow along who have never seen it before. Okay. Because usually when you're doing a usability test, it's your stuff. So you kind of know what's going on. Okay. So I want something that's pretty easy to follow. Okay. And two, I kind of want something that's not in perfect shape. Okay. So there's a reasonable chance that we'll run into something. I don't, okay. I don't, I don't, you know, suss them out so that they're definitely like majorly flawed, but, okay. but I want to make sure there's a reasonable chance because it's much more effective. Okay. But I, I do pick the person at random and I do pick the task kind of right away. And okay. Whatever. Okay. So, you know, this is like the magician's secrets you're, you're telling me right now. So that's pretty. Well, that's <laughs> only one because it, because it really does. I mean, we could talk about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and people, Asked me years ago at a conference, uh, the first time I mentioned at a conference that I did this, that mm-hmm. I tried to do a live test it. And a lot of people came up to me who were usability people came up to me afterwards and said, like, are you kidding? You really do? <laughs> it's yeah. like, you really do that without a net? It's like, I said, it always works. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's what makes it like, because that's what you said. You know, it always works. There's always something something to be fixed, at least. And yeah. so and um, so, so I always remember that very well. It's just like. There's, there's always something to be fixed. I was like, so we'll never ever have the perfect website. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm glad, I'm glad that's what you remembered. That's one of my favorite things. So. Yeah. Well, it's also a good thing just for like, you know, people who want, who want to speak. It's also kind of, kind of like learn just to go on stage and, and, uh, and try new things. And also just, you know, you're there to, you know, uh, also another Molly Hoshlock always says like, if you're there to teach people, then the audience also wants you to win. So don't be afraid. Right. Go, go out there. I love asking me anything is best, actually. Yeah. I, I find that. I, 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 I learn. I always learn when people ask me questions. I always learn to figure something out. That's, that's actually the main time when I figure things out. Yeah. People are asking me questions. Yeah. Yeah, because it's always interesting to see what people come up with with questions. Like, oh, I never thought about that. And right. That, and then the, uh, the, the trick that Molly also taught me is just uh, uh no, not that knows, uh, but there's the people, the collective intelligence of the people sitting watching you uh, <laughs> talk is bigger than the person standing on stage talking to them. <laughs> and that it's okay to ask the crowd if, if there's a question you can't answer, to, if anyone has, has, a, has an answer to that. So Yeah, yeah, I would approach that from, I learned, I learned many, many years ago that, that it's perfectly okay. And in fact, very important to say, I just don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah that was a huge thing for me. Yeah. I think I'm trying, waiting for my son to get that. <laughs> oh, man. How old is your son? He's uh, 26, 25, oh, 25. Okay. And he's actually in the, in the um, uh, human interface uh, program, uh, grad program at Bentley here in Boston this year. Cool. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, Harry. 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 Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, twenties, like you know, you know everything. I think you, you, know, you heard that from the teenage years. <laughs> I think I learned that one until I was like thirty-four. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. I guess we, we could get started if you want. Yeah. Sure. Welcome to the Non-Breaking Space Show from Austin, Texas. I'm Christopher Schmidt. On today's show, we talk with Steve Krug. A highly sought-after speaker, Steve is a usability consultant who has more than 20 years of experience as a user advocate for companies like Apple, 
AOL, Lexus, and many, many others. He's best known for his book, Don't Make Me Think, about human-computer interaction and web usability. Before we get started, some things I'd like you to know. CSS DevConf 2017 is in New Orleans this October. Early bird tickets are on sale right now at cssdevconf.com. UX Design Newsletter is a weekly list of articles, tutorials, and inspiration handpicked by yours truly. Sign up at uxdesignnewsletter.com. Set it and forget it with a non-breaking space show newsletter. Whenever a new show is ready, be notified in your inbox by signing up at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. Find show notes and links discussed in today's episode at nonbreakingspace.tv. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Telejet, T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T, where I try to be witty. I mean, I just try. I, I really fail a lot about that. So, As always, if you like the show, please tell others to find Nonbreaking Space Show on iTunes. Word of mouth helps us out immensely. Now, on with the show. But yeah, thank you, Steve, for, for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. And um, um, so you're the author of... I always find that interesting when that happens, by the way, when I listen to NPR and whatever, when, yeah. when the host says, thank you for being on the show, and, and then the, the, the guest says some variant of, you know, thank you for asking me or yeah. whatever. I sort of think if I was ever on with, with um, what's-her-face, uh, Terry Gross, you know, I, I wouldn't say thank you for asking me. I'd say, I, I wanted to do this my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... I, yeah, Stephen Colbert when he was uh, starting out his show, I think two thousand five. I remember this because I was I was doing my grad uh, paper at the time and fiercely writing it with uh, all by myself in the, in the office. <laughs> and so I was I listened to VR and uh, and so he actually had the joke about like you know he actually used that fifteen seconds of of like thanking him and and he actually had a really great uh, I forget what he said but it was like actually he made a joke about oh what should I say I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And so he did a really great, he, he landed that very well. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so yes, thank you for her. Thank you for asking. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Um, so, so you're the author of uh, Don't Make Me Think, uh, which has mm-hmm. uh, undergone th- three revisions now. And then also Rocket, Ma- Rocket Surgery Made Easy, yep. which is sort of like a, if I paraphrase it, just let me know if I'm paraphrasing right, uh, how to to do usability tests. Is that right? Yep. Yep. It's a little, it's a little how to guide. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the third edition, um, it has more of an update more towards geared towards mobile. I did. I added a chapter on mobile because that was what people were asking me about. And also it's what people are doing now. Right. And, and so you, uh, in there you have a little, I think a screed, I guess also, if I may, I don't know if that's too harsh of a word about, about mobile first and about, you don't like it about people designing for mobile first. In the sense that uh, mobile first, that uh, uh, people design things for people all mobile on the go is, I think you had to describe it as like, it's like, and then you shouldn't, and it turns out that people actually use their smart devices for everything and not just, you know, for things that they would do on the go or people would assume for on the go. Is, is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, it, yeah, except that I, w- I wouldn't care. I, 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 there are any number of things that I can be accused of screening about. <laughs> uh, but, but I think that happens not to be one of them. I think there I was more uh, trying to convey okay. um, what Luke W says. You know, I mean, Luke W, Luke W invented mobile first, invented the whole idea of mobile first. And, um, uh, and then it turns out as he, as he made so clear, mm-hmm. uh, the point that you just made, which is that, while mobile first is very important, you shouldn't assume that even if you're designing on a mobile device, that that means the person's going to be holding it out in front of them, walking down the street, that, that people will use these mobile devices sitting on their couch as much as they'll use them uh, walking around outside. So so mobile first more means you've got a limited amount of space and you've got to fit in whatever functionality you can in that much more limited amount of space than a desktop. Um, so it, it, mobile first is sort of the idea that, that you should be very careful and think it through about what really is the most essential um, about the thing that you're building, and make and build that in first, and then if you have more room on the desktop or wherever, then add in add in additional functionality. But to be sort of to hone down to the core functionality. Right. Um, but yeah, people. The point that you made is, is something that people do get misled by. They think that mobile first means, um, uh, you know, everybody's only going to be using these things while they're on the go, and it's staying true. 
looked at, I, you know, I mean, if anybody wants to know about mobile, I did it. I had a chapter on, on mobile. If anybody really wants to know about mobile, they should subscribe to anything that Luke W does because he's really the best source of, of wisdom. Right. Yeah. About how to design for mobile. Yeah, definitely. Definitely agree. I, I love his tweets, like, especially with his, <laughs> with his graphics about like, his graphics are so good. Yeah. His graphic style is excellent. Yeah. Yes. They're, they're, I think they're painfully good. I feel like they I, are. I, yeah. They really are. I, you know, I, I've looked at them many times and thought, is there anything I can learn from that? You know, so, can I do stuff that's, that's like that? And the problem is that they're, they're a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I learned by looking at them and thinking about, I think he worked really hard on this one. You know, like he knew exactly what he wanted to say and he worked hard on getting it right. So, but it is a great style. He evolved a great style. It's one of the few people who have. Right. Okay, well, talking about moles more and I want, can you get your thoughts about the, you talked about mobile first and then you also went on to talk about in the book about uh, responsive web design and, um, uh-huh. and if that's his correct, like there is correct, like you, like you think that hurts websites on mobile? Well, I think it hurts larger websites. You know I mean? I, I, I sort of, and this, this I have, I don't remember honestly what's in the chapter in the book. Cause that was three years ago. Okay. <laughs> I could go back and look at it, but, but I, 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 you know, I talk about it from time to time and I try not to get too, um, too screedy about it because um, I, I have pretty strong feelings about it, which is that that I felt like before mobile came along, we had sort of figured out pretty well how to do websites, how to do you know reasonable size screen websites. That there were we had sort of templates evolved for different types of websites and, and a lot of a lot of conventions that worked really well for how to present information and how to do information architecture and whatever. And then when people started and partly it was mobile first, part, partly people because of responsive design, which is a great idea that you should be able to sort of design once and with some modifications have that same thing work for different size screens. It's really just about screen size. It's not about whether the thing is mobile or not. It's just about screen size. Um, that uh, what I, For my money, what happened was people started using these um frameworks okay because the frameworks made it really easy to build stuff the frameworks had responsive design built into them so you could basically just plug your stuff into a framework and it would automatically create it at different sizes for you and and be fully responsive and and whatever but from my perspective what happened was people started doing just mobile sites um that that worked reasonably well on mobile they tended to be one page sites that everything almost everything was on the first page and you just sort of kept scrolling through the different different areas of information they had really pretty big graphics even for a small screen they tended to have pretty big graphics because for some reason that seemed to be a good idea yeah. um, and less information so you had less a lot less information density mm-hmm. um and then when you looked at it on a desktop screen or on anything larger even even a tablet screen um, it didn't change much. All it changed was it got blown up, you know, as opposed to being responsive in a much deeper sense where you're using, you're building once, but you're building things in such that when it's presented in different sizes, it's actually presented in a way that's useful at that size. So, you know, my gripe is that I look at these, I go to these websites and uh, on my desktop sometimes, and I feel like I, you could read them from space. You know? <laughs> There's like so little information density. So I'm scrolling forever on my desktop. I'm scrolling through these huge graphics, and I'm getting very little information. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I just don't think that's been very good. But on the other hand, if everybody thinks that, see, I don't think desktops are going away. I don't think large screens are going away. Large screens, I think, will continue to exist, or larger screens. Mm-hmm continue to exist even if it's only sort of tablet size screens but th- those are larger than a phone yeah um, so that's yeah. my that's my screed about that is is that i i don't feel like i don't feel like building the thing for a phone as a single page scrolling site is necessarily a great way to present information that's all yeah i, I definitely i think my biggest uh one of the biggest challenges with responsive design and, and going from being a designer from like 93 to dealing with a, the, the responsive nature is that people do blow up fonts to this huge degree and that you can <laughs> definitely read it from space. And it's gone from having to deal with uh, light text on gray backgrounds where it's like on small text to like 
just fire hose of tax sizes. It's like, yeah. I hope you can read my heading. Like, yeah, your heading is just fine. <laughs> so I, would like, like a, I would like a little more information beyond your heading. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, and, and I believe people do scroll if they are interested in scrolling in what you yeah. have, but uh, necess- like excessively scrolling because you have large fonts. It's just, I find that find a big, a big pain. But, uh, right. but, but I feel we, like- I, We can open up, I, I, my argument is at this point, we could open up almost any, website we could open up the mobile version of almost any website and be mildly appalled by its <laughs> comparative information um density and information capacity to present mm-hmm. the information so, anyway yeah i mean in, in your book if you have an example which is uh i totally forgot about this website but because uh, i think i stopped going to it when you i was i think it was the cbs news website oh, as an yeah. example because you have a it's a it's a they would have articles spread across six pages right. or so and they have a you know they have an image associated with the graphic to make it more right. seo friendly and visual or whatever but uh but they choose the same graphic on the top of the same page forever for, for, right. for each of the article so you would have to actually in your point in your book you actually complain that you actually scroll past the same image right. on every page right so that would say the worst of all possible worlds. They were making you click through successive instead of doing one long scrolling story. They were making you click through successive pages so they could get ad views. Yeah. But yeah. stupidly, they had, and they don't do it anymore. Somebody wrote me a couple months ago and said, "Do you do you ever go to that site?" And I said, "I, I you know, not not really, but I went and took a look, and they they, they don't do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Not because of me." Yeah, I remember you did, and then, and then sometimes you have an example of a good site or, or um, a good app. Uh, was it Weatherbug? And you're, and you're, yeah, Weatherbug is great. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't looked. They've they've updated their site, their app to a new version with a subscription model now, uh, and uh, and it's not as awesome as I think as, as it used to be because I used to be a big Weatherbug yeah. fan. So. Yeah, it's well, I don't know. I'm confused because I actually I updated at some point, or I had to re reload, re- had to delete it and reinstall, mm-hmm. and it seemed like it came back different. Yeah, but and I I don't know if I managed to get back an old version or something because it it's it's still it's still pretty good. Yeah, the other one that I, I think I had that I have in the book was um, mm. was uh, Hitmonk, yeah, the travel site which yeah. I which I just adore. Oh yeah, it's such a great thing. I don't know if you ever took a look at it. Uh, yeah, I think um, uh, I think one of the founders of Hitmonk or one of the uh, supporters of it uh, was. Uh, he was in Austin. Given a, he had a book tour. Uh, he's actually read it. First CEO or whatever. Uh, oh, yeah? So yeah, he, oh. he had a book tour. He's talking about Hipmunk, and basically Hipmunk turned out to be like one of the people he hired. Or read, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure people will tell me like after the episode goes out how wrong I was uh, about who did what. But, uh, but basically, yeah. the Hipmunk came about because he was tired of buying plane tickets that no human would want to travel. <laughs> and so and so i was like why why would i want uh like you know a two-minute layover when i you know right. or like or an overnight layover like no i don't want to if i can avoid that yeah it gives, you the, it gives you the information you want without you having to poke around forever you yeah. know what's their, what's their top level their default category is agony is it i think <laughs> i think which is like <laughs> the least the the, the the most reasonable layovers and the most reasonable price and this it's like the least agony is their default view <laughs> exactly yeah it's it's a great site i i wish i use it more often but i don't but uh but yeah um yeah so i feel like um also this is my pain point also with responsive design was that uh, uh you know steve jobs comes out changes the world with his apple team and his uh, iphone and he uh he shows you new york times website it loads uh, just like a like a web page, like a newspaper page. Right. And it's like, hey, if you want to read this article, uh, just double click it, <laughs> and uh, and so it like zooms in, like, oh, I can I can zoom the text, and I was like, that's amazing, that's a great, that's awesome. And then responsive design came along, is like, no, we want to format the page right. to, to the, the to the screen. I was like, yeah, but we could just double click. We right. like right. All, all exactly all, exactly. We're all, making, I, I hate these news sites that basically. Want to make it look like a magazine? Yeah, it's like it's that they it, the, their idea is that it's far more attractive and appealing somehow to make this look like a magazine. So each each story gets a big graphic, an unnecessarily big graphic. Mm. And the Washington Post, you know, God God bless them at the moment. The Washington Post, um, and I I have three Washington Post apps, and unfortunately, the only one where you can get the view 
that I want, which is like what you just described, which is where you can scroll down through the stories and you can tap on a story and then zoom into and zoom into that story. Um, the only one that does that is the one where you subscribe to the DC version of the Washington Post, which costs a fortune. So the one where you get where you get the the sort of you don't get the local DC news in the Washington Post is one of the, is an, another app that's one of those dumb magazine views where you're scrolling forever just to scroll through the list and see what stories you might want to read. Oh man, it's yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm stop being crabby. <laughs> I'm really not that crabby. In real life, I'm not that crabby. I, no, just, no, I no. just, I just rarely get to talk about it. <laughs> no problem. No, that's good. No, this is like a hit parade of apps and websites. This is, this is bringing on. Uh, this roast apps for the next half hour. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, like, I just went through and deleted like 40 apps from my iPhone the other day. Oh yeah. That I had tried out at various points and sort of thought. Maybe I'll go back and take another look at that interface again sometime. And finally, at the point where I said, "Never going to do it." Yeah, so ruthless. So I do want to talk about like I I love your books because you talk about uh you because you break down usability tests and and you make them sound so easy to do, which which you know what they are uh, because they you actually, are. because yeah. because because you do them you know while you where you're speaking in front of hundreds or you know dozens or thousands of people uh in your in your in your presentations, um. And so, if usability tests are so easy, why why do people don't do them as often? Is is my question? It's like, right. like like why like how? Well, is it, yeah, it's I, get like you know caught up in day to day working and that's, that yeah we, yeah yeah. Well, and, and you're right. I I always do if I'm if I'm speaking for an hour or more, then I will always always do start off with a live usability test. I'll spend like 15, 17 minutes. Dragging somebody out of the audience, having them try doing some tasks on a usability test. I read the script, my usability test script from the book, and do an abbreviated usability test with them. Basically, just so that everybody in the audience has sat through a minimal usability test. So my idea of how simple usability tests should be, and hopefully some of them get inspired to think, "Oh, I could do that. He's not doing anything. I could do that." Yeah. <laughs> and also, the other thing is that they work. Every time I do it, they work. That people are sitting there in the eye and saying, "Holy crap! We just watched it. He spent six minutes using the thing and came across a bunch of what if it was mine or serious problems that I would think need to be fixed." So, so I always do that. I find it very convincing. So, so why don't people? Why don't people do more of it? Yeah. Um, I actually find they are doing a lot more of it. I mean, yeah. part, part, yeah. partly. In some small part, thanks to me, but in a larger part, thanks to the whole Lean UX um, movement. Okay. So people are now people. I think Lean UX came in on the advent on the on the tails of UX becoming. You know, UX was getting more accepted. Well, all right. Here's the timeline, which I've actually never thought about or cataloged before. But okay, so 2007 or whenever it was, Steve Jobs, you know, gives birth to the iPhone, fully blown. Mm-hmm. And does what I always call the the um, the uh, full bore case study for the idea that you can make money by creating things that are easy to use. Okay, so case studies of, of usability are are hard to do. It's all, you know it's tough, tough to it takes a lot of work to do one, but he did one that was so convincing. I mean every every CEO out there said, "Holy cow!" You know. He, he, he made it easy to use. He went to the trouble of making it easy to use. And by golly, people liked it. And they paid money for it. So maybe there's something to that. So that was just such a huge boost to UX in general. And then a couple of years later, the lean people out of the whole Silicon Valley, <laughs> Silicon Valley, we have to figure out how to make money off of this <laughs> movement, <laughs> whether we know what we're doing or not. Um, actually had some very smart people uh, who picked up on that and said, okay, so you need to get out of the building. You need to actually do rapid prototyping. You need to have people try use what you're building. Um, even though it didn't even, whether it had anything to do with the uh, minimum viable product or not, it basically, the part that, that was most useful to me was that they basically said, you gotta, you can't just sit around and think that you know how to do this. You've got to, be generating something and watching people try and use it, which is usability testing. So, so that was a huge boom. So, I think that as a result of all of that, mm-hmm. uh, 
that there are a lot more people doing usability testing than there ever were, like a lot more. And I get the email to prove it. So. <laughs> <laughs> and also, the, the people, people are, uh, my, my, uh, don't make me think it's used an awful lot in courses. I'm shocked at how many courses it gets used in and that the people who are teaching those courses, some of whom we've been in touch with, are having people do usability tests. So people, even in, even in the classroom environment, more and more people, and people write me after the fact and tell me this, that that's where, that's where they learned it, mm. uh, are doing usability tests. So I, I just think it's, I think that's spreading by leaps and bounds. Now, why doesn't it get done all the time? Because um, it requires effort. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's original sin, maybe, maybe that's the answer. I don't know. It, it, it takes work, you know. Um, and and even though it's more, even though it's more valued now, and it's much easier to convince your boss that there may be some benefit mm-hmm. in spending some time with users and 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 having them try uh, using out your prototypes and whatever. Um, it still takes time that people don't necessarily have. You know, I mean, uh, you know, everybody in this business is, is uh, you know, a day late and a dollar short. You know, it's like, nobody, nobody is anywhere near doing what's on their plate as it stands. So the idea of adding anything more has is, is always been a problem. So, so usability, honestly, it's kind of much further than I would have thought. Years ago, I, I said that, quite confidently, uh, which I shouldn't have because I'm always wrong about the future, uh, that um, usability was never going to get to be a budget line item in software projects the same way that marketing is or you know, any of the things that are firm line items, uh, that it might creep up a little bit, but then it would get thrown overboard again at the first sign of, of recession. Um, and Honestly, I think UX and, and usability now is getting much closer to being a kind of standard line item in, in any development project. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I really didn't think it was going to happen. And I think it was Steve Jobs that, that did it, yeah. basically. And what Ever Jackson said, you can, you can make a, a billionaire and a billionaire pretty soon. You're talking real money. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, like, if you just look at uh, Apple's, circle ufo campus that they're building you know just like, it's like that's a testament to uh to having a good idea at the right time but make it, it useful i mean because and that all started because it'd be three players were just terrible they're absolutely terrible. yeah really and they, that's a, you yeah, think back to that yeah like yeah uh, yeah i mean will fly actually that building is, it, is, it, is that the secret behind it that actually will fly uh, probably, I think it's a click wheel. It's like a, it's homage to the click wheel. That's what I think. <laughs> and they just, you just press down a certain part of the, the building and you're like, you, you get a nice, like, nice song plays out. <laughs> so, so, so it's, it's, uh, it's skeuomorphic then. Yeah, pretty much. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, no, I was reading, there was some article the other day about, about that dredging up that the original, uh, prototype of the iPhone was basically had the i iPod interface, you know, with wheel and whatever. It's just kind of bizarre. Yeah, I mean, um, I remember when the uh, the iPod uh, came out, and uh, I think it was at the click wheel. I think the click wheel took a lot of. Uh, to, I don't know if it was the iPod or the the click wheel ver- the click, click wheel version or the new iPhone that Generation One came out, but the instructions were so short. It was like a card, and maybe it was like three. You know, it was a fold out, maybe like it was three things or whatever. And I remember uh, uh, developers, you know, a, a boss would come in and to say, "Our product needs to be this good that it only needs that much instruction." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, it's we, we run a financial app, so I'm not really right. sure you can do that." So, but, but the the influence was there for sure. So yeah. Right. <laughs> Wrong influence, but the influence—that's good. Yeah, I was like, you're, uh, yeah, I think about that a lot because I work, I work with some very complicated apps, and and it's like, y- you know, y- y- you can't make this that easy. You know, it's, yeah. it's foolish to think that you can. Yeah, and then um, about being in the wrong about the future. So many times is uh, like one of the things we have in our in our one of our our conferences is we we do a QA panel with our speakers. And uh, with the audience, and so then, and it's like you can ask me anything you want, and you know, and I moderate it. But my one rule is that you cannot ask a question about what do you think of the future of X Y Z, because one, it's going to be wrong. Right. Two, it's going to be it's impractical for you to walk out this door and understand what's going to happen. 
And, uh, and three, it's going to be really wrong. <laughs> so, right. right. Yeah. That's, I, I actually had that in the introduction. Even for the first version of Don't Make Me Think, I had that in the introduction. Yeah. It was like things not present at time of photo, the things you won't find in this book, was my conjectures about the future. Because the only thing I knew about the future was that, um, A, it wasn't going to be what people think it is. Yeah. <laughs> that we were going to be surprised. Whatever, whatever it turned out to be important was going to be things we were surprised by. And then uh, in your book, you saw like six maximum maximums. And you, I think yeah. you, you boil it down to six maximums. And um, uh, you say a morning a month for usability testing. Right. That right. Uh, yep. Start earlier than you think. Makes sense. Yep. And that's and that's like start as soon as you you can do a paper prototype. Is that right? Yeah. Or, or a sketch on an napkin. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, um, uh, is it grade on a curve? Is that right? Or what's recruit loosely and grade on a curve, which is that's that's the weakest of all maxims. But but I could go into that at length. But but it's it's uh, that one was it, it it's uh, sort of I don't want to talk about politics, but like certain politicians, it doesn't say exactly what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if that was there to persuade people not to get discouraged by the difficulty of recruiting. So to say that basically when you're starting off doing usability testing before you've done much of it and your stuff is still very rough, that you don't need to be too fussy about recruiting people who are directly from your target audience um, because your problems are so gross that anybody, you can talk people through, you can give them a helping hand through the interface and it will still immediately become obvious to you where the problems are. So di- recruiting can be the hardest part, or it's the most sort of effort, labor-intensive part sometimes for people, um, especially when you're starting out and you haven't done it before. So that was basically there to say, don't let the d- difficulty of recruiting keep you from testing. That Feel free to test with almost anybody. And the grade on a curve was to say, okay, when somebody runs into a problem, if they're not somebody from your target audience, then just ask yourself, was, did they have this problem because they're not from a target audience or would people from our target audience probably have had this problem anyway? And it turns out you can answer that question pretty legitimately and easily. Yeah. So that, that's sort of the weak sister of the maxims. And I, I'm try, <laughs> trying to figure out how to revise it if I, if I, oh, yeah. do, a, yeah. I do a version. Well, I think it's pretty good. I think it's in terms of getting up. Getting, okay. it is, it's helpful because people do give up because they have a hard time recruiting. Yeah. You asked before, why do people not test more? I think recruiting is probably up there at number one or number two. Right. Yeah, I can definitely see because um, I know if you're in San Francisco or New York or a big metropolis, it's probably easy to get people to do usability testing in your demographic, if you will. Yeah. But if you're like not in the, those type of cities, or it'd be hard to get people to come in. And so, um, right. And then that's one of the things you mentioned in the book is like uh, uh, you can do remote testing and you actually talk about yeah. remote testing, but you always ask just make sure you do a couple uh, live. Uh, right. Usability testing is before, and that's the idea, yeah. is just to get an experience of what testing is. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that you're comfortable with the process, really. I mean, yeah, I, people have discovered that remote testing works fabulously well. That you don't really have to be sitting next to the person for most of these things, and that you can get just about the same results by using screen sharing with somebody and doing a remote test. Um, but the only, yeah, the caveat that I had for it is, um, don't start off doing that. Do some where you're sitting next to the person. Um, live until you feel like you've got the routine down, until you've got the script down and you should know what the moving parts are and what you're going to do next and how you talk to the person. Um, Because when you're doing it remotely, you actually do have to sort of pay more attention to how they're doing, Mm. you know, because you don't have all the visual cues of them sitting next to you. So so you want to be sure that you're pretty comfortable doing the process. But it doesn't take that long. I mean, I, I would say if somebody does, you know, like, two rounds of, of three people in, in person, then they should feel free to go ahead and try doing remote tests. It doesn't take that long to learn either. Okay, cool. Awesome. And then uh, the next one is uh, make it a spectator sport. Spectator sport is probably my favorite because yeah. because uh, where you get the benefit out of it is having the people on your team and anybody, whether stakeholders or bosses or whatever, having them actually watch some usability tests. Um, you know, that's where, that's where the, it, it's not, it's, it's so much better than having some expert go off and do a usability test and come back and write a report. The live experience of, of watching somebody try to use your product is very informative and, um, moving. It changes people. It changes their, their understanding of who the users are and it changes their understanding of what the product is and what it's good for. So 
I, that's like my favorite is get people to come and watch in person as much as you put, puts, put bodies in the, in the seats. Um, and they, there are all these other benefits of it that, you know, there's the crosstalk that goes on while people are, are watching it. Yeah. Cause like one of the things we, you know, we do a lot of conferences online and, and in person and it's always, uh, someone always asks like, how can I get buy-in for my boss for this amazing XYZ technology or, or technique that you talk about? Because it's, it'll cost money or time or some other resource. And right. so, um, and, um, and w- one of the things I liked is the Brad Frost, uh, atomic design book that he just came out with. Um, he actually has a whole chapter on trying to get buy-in because he actually, it goes to, a oh, lot yeah, of, yeah he, goes, he goes to it. And, and basically, uh, and what I like about the spectator sport is like, you know, is like you try to, you get your bosses, you get your, your colleagues involved and there's no hiding, uh, from the results, right? Like they they, yeah. they, they they can say like, oh, uh, we don't have the resources to do X, Y, Z. We don't, you know, I don't want to do it. You know, whatever, you know, whatever they can couch that phrase and however they like, we don't have resources or time. But when they see like, there's something painfully uh, wrong with the site, right. there's no like hiding from it. And your boss sees it, your colleague sees it. Like we need to address these issues. And so it makes it so much easier to get that buy-in that yeah. way from, from those. And so, um, and, and so Brad's, you know, he, he does a lot more things, but you know, the, the, if I can oversimplify it, um, is that, uh, ask for forgiveness is <laughs> basically his approach yeah. to, to it. So, yeah. but, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's true. And, and, and people who do use really, who've done use really tests for years, um, uh, all the ones I know, they, they often talk about it as like a conversion experience that you'll see people come in and watch their first usability test mm-hmm. and you see their eyes light up. They're like, wait. I've never watched anybody try and use our stuff before. That's what it's really like. Oh my God, yeah. we should be doing more of this. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's really a big thing. Um, the other thing is that people used to create, you know, highlight reels where the whole idea was to create a video that you could show to your boss that would show people being miserable using the product, <laughs> supposedly convince the boss that money should be spent on it. But it's just not the same as watching it live. It's just not the same at all. Yeah, because I, I, I was I, my, my favorite my favorite trick my favorite tip um, is if you if you are not yet doing usability testing and you want to try and get get people started, which which actually is happening a lot. I mean, I think I feel like there are a ton of people out there who are the person in their organization or the department who's interested in UX, who sort of believes in UX, and they're trying to figure out a way to get their boss to let them do some of it, or, you know. And so my favorite tip is. Do a usability test of your competitors. So announce that next Wednesday we're going to bring in three people and we're going to have them do the tasks they would do on our site on our two competitors. And you'll get people to come because everybody wants – it's schadenfreude. Everybody wants to see how badly the competitors are doing, right? Mm -hmm. And it's also – there's also no – um, there's no uh, penalty for it in that your stuff is not going to look bad, Mm -hmm. you know? So nobody on your team has to worry about – the fact that the boss is going to look at it and say, "Oh, our stuff is crap," right. you know. Uh, and I have had people report back to me that this actually is the the, the best way oh, really? to get started. You know, that everybody everybody wants to see how the competitors are doing because they assume that you're doing okay, right. and they sort of hope that the competitors are doing really badly. Okay. And then also, you also mentioned to uh, have good snacks. Snacks, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, and that's part of uh, of. Um, make it a spectator sport because I think the best way to get people to come in person is to have good snacks. So I always tell people, if you're going to, if you have any money to spend, spend it on <clears throat> on the $3 chocolate croissants and the, and the really good gourmet pizza during your debriefing session. Okay. You know, I was, uh, get, get better snacks than people can get and any other, develop a reputation that your usability tests have better snacks than any other meetings in your organization. Cool. I was going to ask you, what type of what what do you qualify as good snacks? Because I think you're you're kind of vague in the book about what makes good. I am vague in the book because I think it's I think it's a, 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 a an age age specific and regional and whatever thing. But okay. I, it's generically, I think I don't I don't think Fiji water really counts for more than 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 you know local water. But but I do think I do think really good pastries mm-hmm. are very popular, and and there is such a thing as a difference between. An ordinary pastry and a really good pastry, and the difference is price. <laughs> and and the same thing with pizza. You know, there's that you know that there you know that there's a pizza place near you that everybody really likes better than the other pizza places. You know, it's got really good stuff. Gotcha. But that's a, that's a matter of taste. I wouldn't try and dictate. 
Okay. Cool. I, I was kind of curious because that was kind of vague. I was like, oh, well, he's. I like a good chocolate croissant myself, but yeah. that's but but. Well, you are making me hungry right now, so I guess. <laughs> Uh, so, so the next maxim is uh, focus ruthlessly on a small number of the most important problems, and right. I find that that's actually refreshing as, in a well as well because you know you do you, you be a test and then let's just say you're like oh my gosh there's like a a ton of, of different problem a ton of problems to do you also in your book you actually document you know a good way to a run a meeting which is crazy that you have like, like a great usability book about how to run a usable meeting uh, <laughs> and and I thought that was really awesome but basically so you get, you narrow it down to like the top three problems that you need to fix right away so, so I thought yeah or the, t- or the t- i mean your your objective you're having a deep briefing meeting yeah yeah so so i mean where it goes back to is the fact that it's so easy to do usability testing and come up with 10 pages for each person of notes of problems that they saw mm-hmm. and you have some kind of meeting where supposedly it gets decided what's going to get fixed but it's very likely that at the end of that process and at the end of the process fixing things, that there are going to be the most serious problems probably will not have been fixed. There are reasons why the most serious problems don't get fixed. You know, things like people assume that they're they're so serious that if we know if we could figure out how to fix them, we would have fixed them already. You know, um, and they may have to do with legacy software and they may have to do with this and that. Um, so. My experience is, and Caroline Jarrett in the UK and I did a presentation years ago about this, about why why serious usability problems don't get fixed. Um, and so there are a lot of reasons. But but so I think it's important that you focus ruthlessly, as the maxim says, on the most serious problems and fix those first. And so I did. I came up with a whole methodology, which partly consists of the people who are the observers in the meeting get a sheet to write the most serious problems are so at the uh, on so at the end of each of the three participant session they get to write three problems that they observed during that participant session that they thought were the most serious and so they have maybe nine problems that that's on that sheet and that sheet is what they take into the debriefing session they're fully entitled and welcome to keep a dozen pages of notes about other things but for the debriefing session you want to try and funnel it into here's what we as a group who observed it agree are really the most serious problems. Whether we think we can fix them or not, these are the most serious problems, and so these are what we should focus on fixing. And uh, I've had people report back that that actually worked. That's actually very um, helpful because it's so easy to get distracted by low-hanging fruit, you know. Right. And, and, and serious problems can be difficult. And so the other part of that maxim that's actually not a maxim is, oh, wait, or is it a maxim about tweak, about tweaking? Is it when fixing problems always do the least you can do? Or yeah, that's okay. So it is a maxim, right? I told you I forget. Um, uh, is that that if you've got a really serious problem, then you the assumption is that if it's a serious problem, then it's going to take a lot of work to fix it. Whereas what I encourage is to say, okay, we have this serious problem that we observed. We observed that somebody was having this specific kind of problem with search, and that it was devastating, and that actually would keep them from from using our product. Okay, so what I try and encourage people to do is to say, don't figure out how you can fix search, okay, which is the usual usual temptation is to say, all right, well, we uh, search really sucks, so we got to revise it. Instead, take that specific problem and figure out what's the smallest change that you could make to the interface or the process or whatever that's going to reduce the probability of that being a problem for people or reduce the probability of being a serious problem. And my take on it is that there's always some tweak that you can make, which while not a perfect fix, and you may have to hold your nose a little because it's not a perfect fix, will actually greatly diminish the seriousness of our likelihood of that problem. You know, so so I'm 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 in favor of tweaking as opposed to coming up with perfect fixes. Yeah, and that's a I think another thing is like you mentioned is that uh, I think I think also heard from Jared Spools like don't do redesigns if you if you can avoid yes. it. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and it's very tempting. It's, it's one of the things that happens when you've just watched three usability tests. You're thinking redesign because your your mind is you know is overflowing with oh this could be better, this could be better, this could be better, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you really are tempted to to think what we need is a redesign, whereas what you need to do is to as quickly as possible fix the things that are causing people problems right now, right. 
you know, you're welcome to redesign six months from now or a year from now. But in the meantime, you can't wait for that redesign to 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 kind of cut down those those problems, cut those problems down to size. Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm doing research right now about legacy sites. So when I talk about legacy sites, I mean like uh, sites that are fixed width. And if you were to follow Steve Jobs in 2007 or whatever, uh, the websites wouldn't be a problem because they could just double click on the different sections and right. blow it up. <laughs> right. uh, I love that. By the way, when you said that, I love that. I remember going from my first. It was uh, it was a. It actually had a screen because mm-hmm. it was a a. Um, uh, what was the phone? Oh, what was the little PDA? A pilot. So it was the pilot became a phone, right? There was a phone that was based on the pilot. Yeah, the Palm Pilot. Um, phone. Yeah. I can't think. Of, I can't think of what the name of it was, but but it had a screen mm-hmm. and and worked really well. And I remember going from that phone to the iPhone, and where you could magically resize things in the browser, where you could tap on tap on stories in the browser and have the column would automatically fill the column. That was like so wonderful. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, but go ahead. That's no, you know, and, and I think we're light minds about that because I just felt like uh, when responsive design came along and I was just like, I was like, okay, look at this straight. You want me to do build four websites instead of just one because people can't double tap. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, right. And, right. and I was just like, oh, okay, it's, it seems weird. I guess we could do that. Uh, and um but uh, yeah, but there, you know, there's a lot of issues. Like, like I've, I've, I think I've come around a little bit just in terms of like uh, because it's bringing a lot, a lot more focus on content, making sure people have the good like you know content strategy, and and doing doing all sorts of things to focus on that. So uh, it sort of actually makes better websites. I think people just focus on the mobile part of it. But yeah, but at the same time, it's like what the heck. Uh, but yeah, so so I'm researching um, how to convert a legacy website that they don't have the budget. Uh, or the time to go to responsive design, and so it's kind of calling it uh, retrofitting websites in, in terms of that. So, um, and and basically trying to do like small wins, uh, and to get, make make sure people it, it renders into as many devices as possible right. w- without having to do that. And so, because um, I found that uh, to do responsive design, uh, you really have to blow away the legacy sites and actually yeah. start from scratch because it is just a pain in the butt to actually retrofit and actually have that be your site. It's great if you don't have the time to do it and, 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 yep. and, uh, and to, to, to build the web responsive design, but you, you need to, to get some quick wins in order to get to, to fill the tablet space and some of that too. So, yep. but yeah, I, I totally, totally, that's what, so that's where my mind is right these days is trying to yep. talk about that and how to solve those problems, uh, for sites that, that can't, uh, generate or like donate, uh, a, a budget, uh, for responsive design because, uh, because because redesigns are tough. They're like they're not. Uh, they're tough. And 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 if you're going to go back and 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 you know sort of make it responsive from scratch, then you're probably going to start with a framework, and you're probably going to do the same kind of thing. So. Yeah, yeah. And then um, yeah, it's just, it's bad. So, but yeah. So then uh, and you also talk you talk about a mobile testing unit. I forgot what the, what the name of it was, but you just um, we we had uh, someone from Mailchimp at a conference and, and did something kind of similar, but basically just like tie a webcam. To a clip onto a device. Oh, yeah. I, forget, I forget the name of it. What you called? Do you remember the name? They called it. Uh, the, um, I called it. Uh, the it contraption. Was, it, it was a. It was from. Um, oh shoot! It was from the, it was a movie with Jeff Goldblum and, and Gina Davis. Um, and quite honestly, here's a here's a dirty little secret. I try to announce publicly. I don't think I've ever announced it publicly. Uh, Brundlefly. Brundlefly. Okay. Right. It was. It was from uh, the fly. The fly. Okay. Where he 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 turns into this, he turns into half fly, half half person. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of. You know, uh, and the dirty little secret is that while I did a prototype of this, yeah, because I thought somebody should be doing these, yeah. Um, and I said in the book that I would put the instructions for how if you wanted to make one, I'd put the instructions for how to make one on the site. But I never did because I had so much to do. And I've had like three people write me over the years and say, gee, where are those instructions? So rather than spend a week putting those instructions together, I have sent email to those three people, <laughs> <laughs> which I consider, I consider that a useful tweak. I yeah. consider that the right way to do. Right. Well, it, well, it goes back to like, uh, it takes time to write and to update our blogs and then to, rather yeah. than easier just to email people who ask. Okay, we're going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and actually the Brundlefly would have been, the Brundlefly wasn't even that, bad because i put most of the directions sort of in the 
all I would have had to do was to take a bunch of photos uh, with my with my my phone of the various steps. But I, I and this is this is how stupid we can be. I wanted to be able to tell people what size screw they should buy at Home Depot yeah. to screw the two pieces together, which meant I had to go to Home Depot and find the screw, and, and, and I could just could never bring myself to do that step. Okay. And that's, I never did it. Well, the, I, to be totally honest, it, I get lost in Home Depot, so I could yeah. totally feel like, I'm going to go I'm gonna Home Depot. Uh, you know, I, I can't just go to Home Depot. I have to go to Home Depot, get lost, right. and then, then find what I'm looking for, and then go back out. And, <laughs> and, and try to find my breadcrumb trail back out. And, uh, <laughs> so. I always ask. I always ask somebody. Yeah, I look for a long time, but then I ask somebody, and they're very helpful. Uh, yeah, so. I will say, like this, speaking of Home Depot, the, the best thing Home Depot ever did was uh, have pick up, like order buy online yeah. uh, at your local store, and, and they 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 say, hey, this 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 guy who doesn't want to spend hours wandering your your shelves. Uh, wants these items, just put them to the front counter. So when he walks oh, wow. in, he doesn't have to like go go crazy looking yeah. around. And so um, I've I walked in buying just screws <laughs> and walk back really? out because I just wow. don't. I do not want to go past the twenty feet <laughs> into the I, store. I, I've never used that. I, and I, quite honestly, I'm at the I'm at the opposite end of the user spectrum because I actually like wandering around. Because inevitably, when I'm wandering around, I see something else and I think. Oh, I could probably use that someday. Not yeah. that I would know where to go back and look for it, but I would know that it existed. Yeah, exactly. So, See, yeah. See, and then you might, you know, you fall for the trap or you actually might buy it and then have nowhere right. to put it in your garage. And like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as I just mentioned earlier, like we talked about uh, about how hard it is to blog and and, uh, and keep a online presence uh, up to date and stuff like that. So, right. so it's like, yeah, so I have all these blogs, but I have uh, all these blog ideas I want to keep on writing and updating. And so it's, and just push them out there. But I was like, oh, I have to sit down and make sure I don't have any typos because that's yep. that submarines your whole like point that you're making because someone's going to be a grammar Nazi and tell you like <laughs> <laughs> you dropped a preposition. Like, oh, sorry. <laughs> so that's always you, you could just ignore them. I, I'm I'm <laughs> capable of that at this point. I'm really capable of that. But but yeah, no, it's it's I I I don't go. I do not spend the morning reading something that I've printed out or the times at Starbucks when I don't have something that I think that'd be a really good little blog post, like not a morning. I don't think it goes by. Mm -hmm. And yet my last blog update was in 2014, I think that. And, and, and I lately for the last year, I have thought of doing an experiment, which would be, which I would call the week of blogging dangerously. (laughs) So basically that I would just blog for a week. And I would do any, you know, there would be sort of no particular filter on it. Yeah. It could be, it could be anything, anything that I thought might be, you know, if it was two sentences that I thought might be worth posting up there yeah. and completely pretty much unfiltered and not worrying about getting it all right. And I like, I liked the idea of that experiment, but not enough to actually do. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. I think that's what, uh, you might get like a ton of clicks. I don't know. I might. Yeah. I might. It's possible. Yeah, that's that's you know that's one thing about uh, also we talk about. I just you know, I wish more people would blog, but then I also feel like I should price set the example and actually blog more before I before I point people out like yeah hey, you should blog. But uh, but yeah, I think more than enough people blog. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, I can't I can't keep up with reading. A, a, you know. I I only follow a small number of people on Twitter. I'm very lucky. I have a lot, a lot of people following me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like, did you ever see Galaxy Quest? Yeah. It's. I feel like I feel like when the ship is going through the meteor field in Galaxy Quest, and it the it turns out the meteors are or whatever they are are magnetic, and so they're all getting dragged along behind the ship. I sort of feel like that sometimes. With that, there are all these people who are following me uh, on Twitter. <laughs> I try and respect it by not tweeting very much. Yeah. You know, and, um, but I don't follow very people because I follow a small number of people who, who always tweet stuff that I'm interested in, mm. but even that's like too much to read, yeah. you know, even that. So I don't know how people do it who follow a whole bunch of people. Right. They're young, I guess that's it. Kids. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, 
Well, that's that's, 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 another, that's a whole another topic for is that information right. over, information overload. But uh, but yeah, yeah. But that's nothing. Like I feel like we talked about this with Simon and, and uh, St. Laurent from past shows is that uh, like I do post things on Twitter and, and Facebook, but I feel bad because that's, you know, Twitter's open, but uh, like Facebook's a walled garden and that uh, all this content is for their, it's in their archive. It's in it's, you can't really export it out that I, I've, I've seen easily. So, but uh, so all this content about what I'm thinking or whether people are, are, are coming in on, which used to be back in the day with blogs, people would have their own blogs, WordPress right. common systems and we just, you know, ping, ping and we get notified when people uh, post stuff. And so, so yeah, there was these, there was this era of like personal blogging that was really great, but now it's, yeah. you know, now it's, uh, you know, it's, and you know, people still blog and whatever, but, uh, but it's not, it, w- it wasn't the same <clears throat> as it is now. <clears throat> so it's, um, and so that's where I feel like, you know, I'm a little shamed because I feel like I should be back on my site and I should push it out to, uh, to Facebook and to Twitter um, as needed. So that's, eh, don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have my, you have my improvoter. Okay. Oh, thank you. you. Hear himself. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, I think that's a good place to, to close it. Now like I, I've been absolved. I think this is like really what I came here for, but, uh, <laughs> so. I can help. I'm cool. Very glad. cool. Steve, uh, how can people find you on the internet and, Oh, I'm way too easy to find. Um, okay. uh, uh, my website is sensible.com. S I V L E. CNSIBLA.com. I actually managed to get an, an English language word, um, a, a nice English language word is my domain name many years ago, which nobody seems to want to pay me a fortune for. I've always been surprised nobody's offered me a ton of money for sensible.com. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's my website. Uh, I'm on, tw- I am on Twitter uh, and I do tweet, you know, like maybe five or six times a week. I try and keep it, keep it slim, lean. Um, at S Krug, uh, S K R U G, and um, that's about it. I am not. I apologize. I'm not on LinkedIn because I'm way too easy to find. Anyway, and um, I feel always feel bad because I get all these requests from people, these LinkedIn requests from people mm-hmm. that come from LinkedIn, not from them. So they, you know, it's like, so you can't reply to those emails. Yeah. So I have all these people who think that I'm just rude or don't like them because they never reply to their LinkedIn requests because they never th- assume that I'm not on LinkedIn. Yeah, I feel bad about that. yeah, I always feel bad because I think LinkedIn does it on purpose because they uh, they have a list of like so you say like hey uh, this person's okay to be my LinkedIn network and it's just like hey do you know these people and right. that, that might be also in your circles or whatever and yeah. and then their button for connect is also very similar to invite as well in terms oh, of really? yeah. yeah and so <laughs> so there's a person that uh you know i know very well but he's not on linkedin yep. and uh, i almost like oh wait he's on linkedin like i should of course i should know this guy and i i always this happens every time he comes up it's like oh i'll just push it like no it's his invite I'm like i don't want to know that guy <laughs> he's got many things other things to do with his life i don't want him like oh you must sign up for linkedin like well if you survived without it so far like more, right. power, more power to you <laughs> just keep on going don't uh yeah. Don't let me don't let me drag you down by like the meter and Galaxy Quest. That was, that's just terrible. So, so definitely, that's a, it's a, that's a dark pattern right there. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, uh, thank you again for being well, on the show. Let me say first, it's been a pleasure. Okay, I'll preempt you. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> this is the end of the NBR bit right here. It's like thank you. <laughs> cool, but yeah, it's right. It's your balls. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I hope we talk to you soon and, and see you in person. At yeah, the conference. hopefully one of these days we'll get around. Yeah. yeah. How is the, how is the, uh, two things. One, uh, the, um, uh, pers- the proportions on my video. Do you want me to switch that to, uh, read a two or something? It's kind of, no, it's, it's fine, fine where it was. If you want, if you want to test around, if you want to, like, no, 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 I wouldn't mess with it if you don't have to. And the other is <clears throat> the audio. I, I, I have a Sennheiser, uh, Madonna mic, which mm-hmm. will completely isolate from the audio, but I think it's probably pretty well isolated now. 
Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, this is actually a pretty good connection right now. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, at least it was a, it's a it's a webcam that I use, uh, an external webcam, but uh, it has a great microphone in it. So. Okay, awesome. Well, uh, if there's if there's an issue, I'll I'll let you know. Okay. But uh, but yeah, so far so good. I know with the uh, Google Hangouts, it's uh, I do I do one headphones because the uh, Google tries to do so, so many things on its own to make sure things are great that it actually right. kind of kills itself in the process. Don't and, do me any favors. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> it's like, you're being too smart. You know, yeah. pretty good. I, 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 I read, I read hangouts. I read go to meeting at like a 10 or 11 mm-hmm. and WebEx is WebEx is a nine or a 10. And then, um, Skype is about a six and Google hangouts is like a minus two. <laughs> <laughs> There was a period of time, like two, four years ago, like I could not have a meeting with someone without it being a Google Hangout. You know? I, yeah. Yeah. I used to have to fight really hard because I hated it. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, and I'm not a big Google Calendar person. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, so that too. So I was just like, I got to learn, I had to learn Google Hangouts. And like, and then, uh, and then, uh, we had to, uh, do, uh, and then one year we decided to go to conferences that we would never, ever go to just to learn new things and see how people, one like you know it's a kind of business thing where like like learn how people run conferences but also learn things that we've never learned before and like uh-huh. new ideas so we actually went to a, the uh, youtube conference for youtubers in uh, la and uh and it just floored me one there's like so many tweens <laughs> that are, and people using youtube it really amazed me yeah. and then um uh so <coughs> and then that just it kind of forced me like this youtube these kids will never know I've grown up without commercials uh, in a traditional sense. Not like now they have YouTube commercials, yeah. but they've never like the two minute block, three minute blocker commercials. Yep, you know, yep. that's, that's a problem. Yeah. And then they all have great hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's all like uh, perfection hair. I was like yeah. ready to be on camera at moments notice. And, uh, and then there's people who are TV stars uh, that we know of like uh, TV or movie stars would kill to have the fan base that uh, some YouTube yeah. stars have. And I was just like, we were, I walked down the hall when all of a sudden people would be screaming these tweens, there'd be a wave of tweens screaming uh, yeah. for these stars that he saw in the hallway, in the conference hallway. And I was just, I was just flummoxed. I, I was, it was like, I learned a lot <laughs> by just going to that conference. Yeah. And, that's a great idea to go to conferences. You don't go to though. Yeah. I mean, so uh, I, I had any, any actual live connection with the, the, the whole Google that whole Google world. I was just reading today because they announced they were they're killing the 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 twenty second uncan the thirty second uncancelable um, commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to offer them as an option anymore to to advertisers. Wow. Um, and um, but there was also this thing about who Tweety Pie. Mm-hmm. This is one of the biggest people. Yeah. There was an article about how basically so many of those people who are Google stars that so much of what they talk about is Google and how badly Google treats them and how <laughs> not making the money that they should make. And, right. uh, and they can't stop talking about it. Right. Well, then it's also uh, Facebook is making inroads into video, but they don't have the ad platform uh, at, that Google does for videos. So basically they're talking about how like Facebook just basically kind of steals air quotes their videos and, and puts it on Facebook's platform and therefore a video that would get like that gets millions of hits on Facebook. They don't see one dime of it. Really? Where, wherever it's a, if it's a video on, on YouTube. Yeah. So it's, there's, there's just too much to keep up with. There's way too much to keep up with. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's, it was really weird. And then it was also weird. Just, um, I don't know if you want to talk about YouTube conferences or not, but, uh, but uh, it was just weird to see how they consider what is a workshop and what you learn from a workshop and what our, our web industry uh, traditionally considers a workshop. And yeah. I think I learned more from web workshops. Than, than <laughs> there, there, so, but uh, but uh, the thing I learned, like um, I was re- you know, researching for this interview and how you said like, uh, um, I, let's talk, we can talk about it right now, but it's just that there, there's no, the quote that you have is like, there are, no, there are a few absolute truths and UX design. Yeah. And then uh, that's a, it's a great quote. So um, I would like to know what few absolute truths there are. That'd be great. But uh, <laughs> so I know. Uh, but you also mentioned like it depends and how like, everyone right. just says like, oh, we should, it depends. And uh, for YouTube, it's uh, for people who want to also be YouTube stars. And I think Ari, uh, my partner mentions also, is that uh, I think a lot of people who, kids who watch YouTube stars 
see that yeah. they can make a career just by being a YouTube star now, which is totally true. You know, be what you want to be, but I feel like they think they can, they can document everything about their lives and post online, and therefore they'll be uh, YouTube stars. And uh, I just feel like that's not going to be possible for a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> because uh, uh, just because you know, if you don't live in a, and if not doing living in an interesting town, doing interesting things, maybe it's that's not going to be a thing to do. But uh, but uh, I don't like to tell someone that their dreams are dead. But uh, yeah, there are probably massive numbers of them doing it. I yeah. would imagine. But, but yeah, never go there. So um, all right. But yeah, but yeah. So. so um, but yeah, but I said like it depends, and so the thing about YouTube, like I was gonna finish this one thought, and get yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, it's that uh, so people, so people would always ask every 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 panel I was in was that how do I get to be like famous like you? Everybody's like, what do you do that right. works rather right. than someone else who doesn't work? Which is like a totally honest question to yeah. ask, right? and uh, and even this was it was even the workshop. The answer was uh, be authentic. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, like, I was like, uh, okay, what does that mean? Like, we well, have to right. be like true to yourself. Like, well, you know, it there, there's hard work to do what you do, and you can just talk about the hard work, and no one's going to be begrudge you, but no one wants to talk about the hard work. <laughs> but, Not when you're twenty. Not yeah. when you're in your twenties. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's like my favorite old joke is is uh, uh, in Hollywood. The most important thing is the sincerity. If you can fake that, you're. They're golden. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great quote.